The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 21st chapter. Jesus said, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from the fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it is upon, it has come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you have the strength to escape all the things that are to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned in our welcome, and as Kathy's talked about in her children's sermon, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, and the first Sunday of Advent in churches that follow a liturgical calendar is also always the first Sunday of the church year. Uh, so it's a new beginning, and at a time of new beginnings, I always think it's a, appropriate and important to sort of step back and maybe focus on some basics to reorient our perspective, to think about our posture in the world. Advent's a wonderful time to do that because it's filled with themes like hope and promise and anticipation. Now, we tend, I think as Christians, to think that those words are connected to uh, remembering once again the celebration of Jesus' birth, and that, of course, is part of it. But at a deeper level, Advent is reminding us that whether we're in the season of Advent or any other day or week or month of the year, Christians are an Advent people. Our posture is focused on the return, not of Jesus as a baby, but as Jesus as a king. Our whole lives are oriented toward that expectation, that hope. It's a central part of who we are as Christians. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come. In the creed, we talk about he will come again. 
to judge the living and the dead. The very last sentence of the Bible before a final amen is, come Lord Jesus. And so this is an opportunity this season for us to reflect on that truth of our ongoing orientation. And the first Sunday of Advent particularly always focuses on this. The gospel for today uh, is a gospel that reminds us of that second coming. But what I wanna do is I wanna draw our attention to the Old Testament reading, which also helps to remind us about this life of anticipation and hope. And I wanna put that anticipation and hope and promise and expectation in some kind of historical context based on the reading we heard from Jeremiah, uh, which I'm gonna read in a moment. Uh, those of you familiar with the book of Jeremiah, you would agree, I think, that Jeremiah is probably not remembered as a particularly upbeat prophet. Um, he, he tended in his book, which is one of the more important prophetic books in the Old Testament, to talk in terms of renunciations or denunciations or judgments. The first part of the book primarily towards his own people for their lack of faith. The second half of the book primarily towards other um, uh, entities or, or uh, countries uh, in, the old, in the ancient world. But in the very beginning, or in, in the middle rather, of the book of Jeremiah, there are a few short chapters that are sometimes called the Book of Consolation. It's part of the book of Jeremiah. It's not a separate book, but it's a few of the chapters from there, which is one of the rare places where Jeremiah speaks a word of comfort, a word of hope, a word of consolation to his people. Let me read again, this is a short reading. This is from chapter 33, which is part of that book of consolation from the middle of the book of Jeremiah. Um, here's what he writes. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Now, even taken on their own, those words are words of hope and promise. They're beautiful words. But when you understand some of the context, they become even more powerful and more amazing. So two important uh, notes about the context of, of the writing or the speaking of those words. The first, is that when Jeremiah wrote those words, he was in prison. And he had not been put in prison by enemies of Judah or Jerusalem. He'd been put in prison by his own leaders because they were so annoyed with him for how he would continue to rant about their lack of faithfulness and the resulting devastation that would fall upon them. So they said, we're tired of listening to you, Jeremiah. You're going to prison. And so he's writing these words from prison. That's one important bit of context. The other, maybe even more important bit of context, is that as Jeremiah is writing these words, one of the ancient superpowers, Babylon, is preparing and is actually already on its way to steamroll into Jerusalem and Judah and take over the country, which they do. And when they do that, among other things, they destroy the temple in Jerusalem, they raise it to the ground, and they also exile, they deport all of the leading citizens of Jerusalem into Babylon. This is a signal moment in the Old Testament, the exile into Babylon. And just to even provide a little more context, what you should know is that the temple 
which was the, he- the center, the heart of the Jewish people's understanding of themselves culturally and theologically, had stood for 400 years. Okay? That's a long time. The kings uh, had reigned in the Davidic line for about the same amount of time, for 400 years. And all of that is changed with the Babylonian exile, with the deportation. The cultural heart of their life, the temple, is destroyed. They're moved out of their country, and the Davidic line of kings is is, uh, destroyed. It's cut down. It is a terrible, awful, devastating time for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And it's in that context that Jeremiah says, your God has not forgotten you. The story is not over. The final chapter has not been written. Do not give up hope. And sure enough, within a century, the Babylonian Empire is taken over and the people of Jerusalem are allowed to go back and they start to rebuild their temple. But no king in the Davidic line is placed on the throne again. And so you can imagine then in the centuries that follow as the Jewish people continue to esteem and read prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah who, has, who says very similar things, they think about them and they think, you know, they were pretty smart. They, they said some important things. Among the things they said is that one day a king would be restored in the line of David. And so they're keeping their eyes out over the centuries for maybe if it's possible that some king will again be anointed. And of course, this is where the story enters into the Christian story. And we know this part of the story. Eventually, this guy named Jesus comes on the scene and some people start paying attention to how he's teaching and working miracles and they start to think, maybe he is the one. But then what happens? He goes and gets himself killed by the Roman Empire, which is now occupying Jerusalem, and so his followers completely understandably say, well, we were wrong about him too. He couldn't have been the one. And then something completely unexpected and mysterious and miraculous happens. After his brutal execution at the hands of the Romans, Jesus makes himself known to his followers again. And they start realizing, huh, maybe we didn't understand the words of Jeremiah or Isaiah. Maybe the Messiah, maybe the king in the line of David wasn't going to be a political or military king. Maybe it was going to be a king from all eternity who would rule with justice and righteousness for all eternity, who would destroy death through his own death and resurrection, and who would come again one day in glory. Which brings us to today. Because for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been waiting for that coming in glory, waiting for that return, which begs the question, so what do we do about that? How do we live in light of that? How do we respond to it? And I want to suggest a few quick things. 
all in light of the story of Jeremiah. The first is if we position ourselves as listeners to Jeremiah, who spoke a word of hope to his people in a dark time, is that we need to open our hearts and our minds to that same word of hope which continues to come to us through the church. Okay? So first, we position ourselves as recipients of that word. To the degree we are able to hear it, that God gives us the grace to hear it, um, then two other thoughts about what we do with that hope. Again, both of them connected to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, of course, was a prophet. We think of prophets primarily as speaking, and he did use words, and he used them powerfully. And in this book of Consolation, he provided important, meaningful hope to a people who needed to hear a word of hope. And in our time as Christians who have received that same word of hope, we are also invited at the appropriate times, in the appropriate ways, to people close to us, to speak a word of hope. What we say and how we say it matters. And it has the potential to change the world. So that's one thing we're invited to do as Christians, is to speak that word of hope into a hurting world. The other thing that we get from Jeremiah, though, is a reminder that it's not only about words. Um, it, Jeremiah in the chapter right before the one I read from, that was chapter 33, in chapter 32, Jeremiah does an amazing and strange and bizarre thing. Just as Babylon is preparing to take over Jerusalem, you know what he does? He goes and he buys a plot of land just outside of Jerusalem, knowing that an enemy is going to occupy the land. But what he's doing is he's not only speaking a word of hope, he is enacting that hope through his life, through his actions. He's saying, I believe in God's promises so much that I'm betting my hard-earned cash on it. I'm going to buy a plot of land even though I can see the Babylonians in the distance. And so for us, the invitation is also the same. It is, as I already mentioned, yes, to speak a word of hope. But maybe more importantly, upon receiving that word of hope, it's to figure out how do we live our lives to enact that hope. And my dear brothers and sisters, might I suggest that Advent is a beautiful time to reflect on what that might look like in your life. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Good and gracious God, you come to us and remind us of the hope and promise of your return. Today we pray that you will open our hearts to that hope and give us the strength and courage to share it not only through our words, but through our very lives. And all this we pray through the holy name of Jesus. Amen.